All right, Alex, welcome aboard to the Counter Vortex. All right, yeah. This is uh, the Counter Vortex, my podcast, me being Bill Weinberg. And uh, we're doing a Zoom interview today, hooking up uh, my apartment on the Lower East Side of Manhattan with the, uh, the home of Alexander Reed Ross in uh, Portland, Oregon. Welcome aboard, yep. Alexander. I'm a dog bootleg. Oh, hi, dog. Alex's dog. You what people out there in Radio Land can't see it because uh, we're just gonna <laughs> we're just gonna uh, be airing the audio, not the video. So, <clears throat> like I used to joke when I was actually on Radio Radio, hold it up to the microphone so everybody can see it. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, we're joined by the um, extremely, I dare say, controversial <laughs> Alexander Reed Ross. Been getting yep. a lot of. Um, a lot of media attention these days, Alex, uh, both favorable or unfavorable. But as they say, there's no such thing as bad publicity. <laughs> I don't know who says that. Um, they need to get a job. No, I'm well, kidding. Well, I say it. <laughs> I say it. Important yeah. Um, <laughs> have, have all the right enemies in this world. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I have a, a, a new report that I co-authored about uh, COVID-19 and like all the protests that are going on and the disinformation and this and that. And uh, it's actually gotten featured in some, you know, uh, mainstream publications, New York Times, LA Times, Washington Post, but it's also got hit by uh, Infowars and uh, Gray Zone. So there you go. Yeah. No, no yeah. greater badge of honor than to be hit by Infowars and Gray Zone. Yeah. Was, and this was... is actually a very good tie in to exactly <laughs> what is, you know, your whole basic thesis and, and critique of contemporary um, political cultures, you know. Gray zone is um, perceived as being uh, a, uh, a website, you know, an online publication of the left, quote unquote, and Infowars of the right, quote unquote. And yes, there's obviously a convergence here. Well, yeah, I think so. I think that there's generally been a shift on the left towards abandoning uh, basically the principles that cohere the left together and sort of move towards a hypergroupism uh, where your left wing, you know, belonging, sense of belonging uh, is uh, tied to the group or party or, you know, uh, tendency that you're a member of. I see it as a sectarian phenomenon. Um, which is ironic because it, it tends to kind of go with a populist vibe, you know, like we don't care if you're actually left or right. Uh, we're just here to unite the people against, you know, the ruling class. Um, but, you know, there's a thousand people with the people's liberation, this or the people's, you know, front of that. And so, you know, it all goes down. Uh, the well, I mean, you identify this uh, using the term that I've also sometimes used of, you know, red, brown politics, the notion of a populist convergence between the left and the right against the, you know, perceived corporate mainstream center. Sure. Uh, but, you know, I mean, to me, the problem isn't just sectarianism. 10, 15, 20 years ago, it was sectarian outfits, you know, these sectarian cults on the quote-unquote left, like the Workers' World Party, most notoriously. Mm -hmm. But uh, at this point, I think the problem is a lot bigger than that. I mean, I don't think that um, that Gray Zone, for instance, is, is sectarian. They aren't uh, uh, adhering to any particular sect. Uh, it's This has kind of become a more mainstreamed position 
in what is, you know, vaguely defined as the left today. Yeah, it's kind of like an ideological alignment, you know? I mean, I've seen, you know, they're very uh, uh, supportive of the uh, uh, Party for Socialism and Liberation. Right, they're one of the sectarian outfits. That it's, happens right. to be a, a kind of an offshoot of Workers' World. They broke from Workers' World maybe about 10 years ago, but shared yeah, they, the same basic politics. Yeah. Pro-Russia, exactly. pro-China. And, you know, I mean, if being pro-Russia and pro-China was forgivable back when those countries were communist, <laughs> having illusions about them back when they were, quote unquote, communist <laughs> was maybe forgivable. But today, when they're thoroughly capitalist, it's just kind of mind boggling. I hear you. I, th I think it's kind of like a, an, it, it also is part of the foregrounding of geopolitics, right? Uh, which people didn't really talk about that much uh, 10, 20 years ago on the left, but today has kind of taken a, a front uh, and center position. It's this idea that, you know, uh, Vladimir Putin is not like in my affinity group, but, you know, he is still sort of providing a counterweight to the uh, war hawks of the neo-lib, neocon, you know, um, alliance in, in Washington, D.C., along with, you know, she, uh, she and, and, and the idea is that, Right, like these these are still kind of state capitalist countries in a sense. Although, sure, people will say Venezuela and China are more socialist. Um, I wouldn't but, say that. Well, no, 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 not not you. Well, I'm, I'm talking about. I'm talking about. Say it. Some people would say it. I wouldn't say it. And I yeah. wouldn't. You know, Russia is not even state capitalist. It's just plain capitalist. Maybe right. it's going in a little bit more of a state capitalist on direction under um, under Putin. But I mean, it's, it's, obviously, yeah. it was, you know, the so-called oligarchs who right. kind of, you know, usurped economic power after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And I, I agree with that. And I agree that, you know, Putin is the sort of like the chief oligarch, right? The chief, chief executive oligarch. Um, but uh, people tend to uh, brush that off in moral, ethical, uh, and, and uh, systemic ways and, and just sort of say, well, whatever, <laughs> at least he's not the United States, or take the, the famous kind of like uh, Chomsky doctrine of saying, you know, well, you're in the United States, the closest thing to you is the United States, so your foremost responsibility is to attack the United States. And if you have big problems with, you know, other, you know, countries with their human rights records, then that doesn't really matter. Like you should not care about that. You shouldn't show solidarity for people of the world. You know, right, I'm very familiar with the line and I have two responses. <laughs> my, my first is that, you know, I agree that our primary responsibility is to protest the crimes being carried out with our tax dollars and in our name. OK, that's fine. But uh, that that does not let us off the hook for actually uh, remaining hermetically silent uh, about crimes which are committed by, by by Putin or Xi Jinping or Bashar Assad. And certainly we should not be actively collaborating and making excuses for and propagandizing for the crimes which are uh, carried out by Putin and Xi Jinping and, and Bashar Assad. Right. And the other thing... And that, that's, that's what they do yeah. i mean they're going to deny it they're going to say oh no we don't support bashar assad we just oppose u.s intervention in syria and we don't support uh, xi jinping we just yeah. uh, you know oppose all of the lies that the state department is spreading about the mass detention of the of the uyghurs 
blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right, 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 right. No, 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 that's the idea. You you got it, Bill. You should go on the podcast. <laughs> you do a great job. Um, no, yeah, and, and I mean, it, it carries with it a whole lot of different networks in the United States that have been established for some time that uh, run with these sorts of regimes, right? You know, that go to their conferences, that frequent, you know, press TV, RT, you know, those kinds of outfits. We should make clear here, press TV is an arm of, uh, of the of Iranian state media. RT is an arm of Russian state media. I mean, a lot of people share the links from these sources on Facebook willy-nilly, not even aware that it's state propaganda. Oh, oh trust me. I was, I was totally, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't remember like how deeply I was kind of bamboozled. Uh, probably like, I would say eight or nine years ago, uh, maybe even earlier than that. You know, a lot of times you just trust, you know, the people who you go to protests with and, you know, the people who you feel very close to and they're sharing this stuff. So you share it, too. And you're like, yeah, I agree with that. Like uh, that that makes a lot of sense. You know, it 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 I, I don't think it takes a whole lot to sort of look behind the curtain and say, like, who is Press TV? Like, what are they actually doing, you know, in general? Um, but most people aren't gonna do that you know it, it for me it took quite a while of like people you know corresponding with me and being like hey man like you know some of the stuff that's coming out here is not very cool and I just didn't get it at first you know so I totally sympathize and I totally understand like why it's hard but when people are like veterans of this scene and they're pumping out this disinformation you know, and, and, and people are genuinely trying to show them what's going on. And they're just like smearing them, you know, at, at that point, it just starts to get really old. Right. You know? We're going to get to the smears. We're definitely going to get to the smears. But uh, first, I mean, what's your response to the people who say here to, to two things? First, to the people who say, oh, no, we don't support Assad. We just oppose U.S. intervention in Syria. And to the people who say, oh, red-brown politics is just a conspiracy theory. It's not actually a thing. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think, I think it's, it's a big discussion and I'm just one voice. You know, I've, I've been pointing out um, a lot of things that I find uh, 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 lack integrity, you know? And that's like the most important thing to me is to say, um, who's being honest here with the data, with the information, you know, with the fact. And, um, you know, you can have, you know, perfectly tenable opinions, you know, in the, in, in the 1940s, anarchists opposed entering World War II on pacifist lines. Well, I think, I think well, I'm sorry? Some pacifists did. Some, yeah, well, I think that that's, that's a, a, the wrong position, right? I think that that was terrible. I mean, did they deserve to be sent to labor camps? I think that's a little rough <laughs> for conscientious objectors. But, you know, um, I, I would have argued with them and said, no, you know, I, I agree with intervention against the Nazis, right? Um, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, like throw down against pacifists, you know, it's just not my way. But, um, you know, I, I do expect people to actually hold fast, right? When they betray pacifism by, uh, by either denying or making excuses for war crimes. 
which yeah. is you know, unfortunately right. something that we have witnessed in recent years where Syria is concerned. It is, and it's despicable, right? That's not pacifism. Like when, when you're cheering on Russia bombing, you know, innocent families, bombing hospitals, bombing rescue workers, when you're laughing at that stuff, that's not, that's not anti-interventionism, you know? That's, that's, that's something completely different. That's sinister. You know, so so I've, I'm perfectly happy to carry on rational and reasonable discussions with people on their philosophical positions about intervention and pacifism and, and violence and stuff like that. I mean, that that kind of discourse I welcome. But this kind of like, you know, exuberance over the horrifying violence against civilians um, in the name of anti-interventionism and anti-imperialism. Once again, that's I mean terrible. You make the claim and they'll simply deny it. They'll say, oh, not guilty. We don't do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, right. I mean, you know, at what point does the denial just get so obtuse that they're, you know, um, they're asking you to sacrifice your entire experience uh, simply to believe them? You know, and wasn't I, it in fact, you know, we're going to get to him shortly, but wasn't it Max Blumenthal who actually, uh, Max Blumenthal of Gray Zone, who actually uh, <clears throat> uh, posted a kind of like a mock up video making light of the um, of the Syrian uh, gas attack victims who were, t were putting on gas masks? Do you remember that episode? I think there was something on Twitter where there was a, a, a viral photograph of a, of a father trying to, you know, practice putting some kind of, uh, some kind of like- Improvised uh, gas mask. Gas mask, yeah. improvised gas mask on his son. Right. Or his child. And, and uh, uh, Max Blumenthal had some kind of, uh, what he probably thought was a very witty retort in his like nice remodeled kitchen or whatever. Uh, putting a, a, a paper bag over his face and saying, you know, basically mocking the words of, of the, the tweet uh, with regards yes, to the mask. So like basically he, he, it, the way that I read that was just, was just sheer mockery of- uh, Yes, precisely, uh, sheer mockery. All right, we're gonna get to him in a minute yeah. because I, well, the only thing I really want to talk about is his latest hit piece on you Mm -hmm. in the gray zone. But first, uh, we haven't even uh, broached the basics about you. You're the author of a book called The Fascist Creep. <laughs> Against the Fascist Creep, right? Against the Fascist Creep. Yeah. There's a lot of fascist creeps <laughs> out there, actually. Uh, you're, you're using the term more as a phenomenon rather than an epithet. Uh, I try to, yeah, I yeah. try to. <laughs> Against the Fascist Creep, published when and by whom? Published in 2017 by AK Press. Uh, great. Yeah, and I confess I have not actually read it yet. Oh, no. I, you know, I've obviously been very closely following your online work, so I feel like I've probably absorbed the basics of it by osmosis, and I will get around to reading it. Yeah. All right. Uh, hey, I, I've got a I've got a huge book pile, right? Yes, so, yes, uh, yes. I can yes, empathize. So, I still uh, got I still got left books from 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 uh, middle school that I haven't read yet. I don't know if that reflects on my uh, student career from from the uh, middle school. Well, uh, you could actually <laughs> you mail me a copy that would facilitate my uh, my reading it and writing a little review that I'll put on the website countervortex.org. But anyway, yeah. meanwhile, tell us what basically what the book covers and what it's uh, what it's yeah. basically arguing. 
So uh, I wrote this book. I started to write it around uh, 2014 when I started to observe some of the uh, uh, people who I had been sort of organizing around or with uh, in the environmental movement, sort of kind of, you know, bring out some unsettling themes that I thought were a little too close to fascism. So in I started the environmental to like movement. What's that? In the within the environmental movement. Yes. 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 Elaborate, please. Oh, we had campaigns out here in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, you know, uh, opposition to mega loads, you know, there, there were these uh, huge, huge, like, you know, I don't know, 30 wheeler, you know, um, transport uh, uh, convoys that they had uh, bringing machinery out to the tar sands and they were coming in through Oregon, um, like John Day area. Uh, and so folks would show Head, up. Heading where? Heading to the Midwest? Uh, no, heading to Alberta. Oh, heading up to Canada. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, people would like chain themselves to the mega loads or or like uh, blockade them and and that kind. Okay. Of well, that's good. It was a big deal a, a while back. So so yeah, but no, I mean like I loved all uh, you know the the people I was organizing with. You know, I didn't, you know, I don't want to give you the impression that I was by any means like fully invested and involved in the campaign. I mean, I, I would. Uh, help All right, out. so how does the, the fascist creep enter into this? Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, so I started to observe people, you know, kind of like having these like weird, like, hey, let's bring back the swastika type of stuff. And I was like, what is really going on here? And um, and I heard about this band called Death in June that was playing in Portland. They're like kind of people say they're kind of like a crypto fascist band. Um, I would sort of, it appears to me that they are a fascist band. Um, anyway, so they're playing in Portland. I came out to protest it and I saw one of my buddies from, from organizing the environmental movement going over to, to stand in line for <laughs> the death in June show. I was like, what is happening? Anyway, so I, re I, I, I wrote like a report back about uh, the protest. And AK Press, I think, picked that up or maybe a previous article that I had written. And they uh, they asked me if I wanted to write a book about it. And I was like, I don't know, man, because this is something that I'm pretty new to, actually. It was like 12, 2014. And I knew there were all these other scholars who had been doing it for like more than a decade. And so they were like, well, if you know anybody better, you might think, like, go ask them. And so I did. And they were like, nah, we don't think fascism is on the rise right now, you know? Like, <laughs> And so I was like, I was like, okay, I'll be chicken little running around. And, and, and for like a year, people were saying like, this is the most irrelevant thing you could possibly be writing about. You know, how this book about how fascism kind of insinuates within radical scenes, if you're not like vigilant and sort of aren't able to recognize it and, and, and uh, uh, confront it. Um, you know, who cares? Like, this is not, you know, nobody is, is invested in or interested in this, you know? And I was like, well, I, I, I guess I'm going to have to do a lot of reading. <laughs> so I just right, dedicated okay. I assume that I the, the, the point it. of intersection here uh, with, uh, you know, the, the, the enviros the out there on the West Coast and the so-called fascist creep was this whole strain of, uh, you know, Malthusianism and uh, misanthropy, which has always been in the uh, sectors of the environmental movement. Oh, sure. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, I was a, I was an editor at, at and, and, and Max uh, Blumenthal in his article, I think he wrote it. I don't remember who wrote it. But anyway, in his article, 
um, he tries to really ding me about this, that I was uh, an editor at the Earth First Journal, right? Ah, and, yes, exactly. And, this conflict definitely played itself out big time in Earth First. In right, the, exactly. In the late 80s and early 90s. Exactly. You had Murray Bookchin and Dave Foreman and right. Dave Foreman is this big anti-immigration activist now. You had them in the pages of the Earth First Journal talking oh, about how Foreman, age Foreman turned, did you just say that Foreman became an anti-immigration activist? Oh yeah, he has this group called Apply the Breaks, which I think was funded by the Tanton Network or maybe some interlinked group, Whedon, Whedon Foundation or something like that. Um, anyway, yeah, he, he's been, he, basically what he, what he tries to say is that immigrant foot traffic is damaging the United States border uh, uh, lands. And so, you know, and, and this is the same thing the Sierra Club was saying well, for quite a while. Yes, 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 there's a lot of flat Before their Borderlands chapter, yes. right? With, with but the, it's interesting, back in the day when, you know, um, Foreman was like the guru of Earth First, I mean, his primary thing was defending the wilderness from the chainsaws and the yeah. oil developers and whatnot, but he kind of mixed it up with, you know, this um, xenophobic element that a lot of, you know, the, the more grassroots types in, in the movement, uh, you know, finally they kind of had an Oedipal revolt and, um, and, and, and purged him, I yeah. think. The uh, but you're saying that, that since he's moved on from Earth First, he, uh, he's actually sort of made anti-immigration a more primary focus? That I was not aware of. Yeah, 2008, around then. No, maybe even uh, 2010. He has this group called the Rewilding Institute, I think. And, and then he started this other group called Apply the Breaks, which was about immigration, trying to stop immigration into the United Interesting. States. This was when? I Like I said, around 2010, I think. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, my friend Peniotti Cholkis, I think, wrote an article about it. Yeah. Um, but no, no, no. Uh, uh, I remember at that time just being like, because I was, I was, you know, when I was an editor there, I was reading through the entire back archive, just like meticulously going over the entire history and trying to just ingest as much as I could about this cool thing that I had found. And it was just wild because like, like you said, and it's just like this perfect example of the way that, you know, a populist movement, right? Like rednecks for wilderness, trying to kind of bring together sort of backwoods rural conservatives and like maybe even some, you know, I don't want to say hippies, but some kind of like yippie, you know, like uh, IWW. Yeah, right. the whole back to the land hippie element and the and the redneck <laughs> element, you know, kind of coming really, together. And, and I'm not opposed yeah, to that. Yeah. I mean, I support it in principle, but you have to draw a line somewhere, you know? You can't do the white nationalist thing, right? I mean, and you can't have the tolerance for racism. Like, like it's great exactly. to try to, it's, it's great to try to like, you know, organize, look at what the Rural Organizing Project is doing in Oregon right now. I mean, they're doing amazing stuff. They're, they're like organizing communities, you know, they're organizing anti-racist communities. They're going into rural areas, you know, that really are kind of like, you know, um, neglected. And, and they're, they're trying to, you know, create, you know, community, mutual aid, solidarity, all that awesome stuff. You know that you don't need to pander to racism in order to work with rural people. That that right there is it's insulting to rural people to act like that. You know. Okay, so um, ultimately this um, culminated in your book against the fascist creep. Yeah, it did because I just I just burrowed into this niche. I was just like, what? Because it was foreign to me. I was like. You know, I had I had read this article by uh, Spencer Sunshine back I think in two thousand nine called Free 
branding fascism in yeah. political research associates. And that had a big impact on me because I was like, this is this is some crazy stuff. And, and because, you know, in the anarchist scene, you know, I had been ingesting that kind of stuff too and like kind of toying with those ideas. Um, oh, and then toying gotta, with what ideas? Like post-left type of stuff, you know, nihilism, um, even like thinking like, through like what is this eco extremist type of stuff that's coming out and like what is my relationship to it mm -hmm. and so that article really helped me kind of take a step back and just be like you know I'm not going to deal with that right now um which maybe wasn't the best reaction <laughs> I should have just like stood up against it as soon as I could have but um, some very important research I will readily acknowledge I also have very strong differences with him We've had uh, conflicts in the past. I mean, he is willing to uh, work on on anti-fascist grounds, you know, coalition grounds uh, uh, with uh, Workers World and its front groups, uh, <laughs> and, and kind of like you know a popular front kind of uh, uh, idea. And uh, I, I, that to me, that's just completely defeating the whole purpose of anti-fascism because Workers World is in fact collaborated by precisely this kind of red-brown phenomenon that you're talking about. I mean, they're like, you know, the avid cheerleaders for, um, for uh, you know, uh, Putin and Assad and so on in the United States. Yeah, no, no, I understand that critique. I, I don't know anything about it. I don't really know Spencer, Spencer yeah, 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 person yeah. And, and, you know, so I can't really speak uh, 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 on that. Um, but, um, you know, that is to say, I, I think his work is valuable, especially in that regard and, and, and on the militias here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, along with Shane Burley and, and uh, uh, Daryl Lamont Jenkins, you know, there's so many people, the people at uh, um, uh, Political Research Associates, uh, who I also work with, um, super amazing folks um, who, you know, I, I, the, 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 the thing is, I think at the end of the day, you just have to, like you said, just start really drawing lines and, um, and not letting things just pass quietly by. You know, um, and and I think it really shows when you when you point something out, you know, empirically, an existing phenomenon, right? Like you know, such and such, you know, left winger is just full on supporting a far right wing manifesto, you know, and nobody wants to talk about this, you know, okay. such as example. Well, this is okay, so. <laughs> It's just calling me out here, man. So, so um, the uh, one of the one of the things you know that was in this latest article about me in the gray zone is uh, an article that I had just written in the Daily Beast, right, right? about the so-called dirt bag left. Yeah, seems to be a phrase which they actually embrace rather than an epithet which is hurled at them by others. Surprisingly. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't write the headlines, you know, so I mean, I don't know the, you know, utility of the term, I think maybe it's just recognizable, you know, it grabs attention or something like that. But definitely there are like a, there's a cohort of, of podcasters who kind of caucus together, you know, um, force the vote type of stuff, you know, I don't know. But anyway, um, the uh, so so there's a, a podcast called Red Scare, and the two co-hosts um, both went on a, um, a podcast that I would describe as like 
fascist. I mean, it's it's definitely. Um, well, what is it called? What is it called? It's called the Perfume Nationalist, and it's it's uh, uh, basically hosted by this guy named Jack, who says stuff like, you know, he's talking about himself and others on the right, and he's talking about them thirsting for fascist figures and fearers. I think that's the direct quote. Okay, he's you know, on ironically. Yeah, no, no, no. This was in discussion of a of a book, uh, a manifesto for the right called um, what do you call it? Uh, the Bronze Age Pervert, right? It's like a very, very popular on the right. Well, like people love it. It's very even for me. And it was very, so, what what was the uh, the, uh, the who were the, the the ostensible leftist parties who were involved in this podcast? They're, uh, um, I think their names are. Anna Khachian and uh, Dasha something or other. I don't remember her last name. Yeah, no, but there's a, um, they're on a podcast, Red Scare. Um, right, Red Scare is the name of the podcast. And they, they, and they hooked up with, uh, with this yeah, other... From what I could tell, they've been friends for Perfume a while. Patriot podcast? Perfume Nationalist, right? Perfume yeah. Nationalist. Yeah, and so, so yeah, and in his earlier podcast about um, Bronze Age pervert, he's just gushing over, you know, this nationalist uh, misogynist, right? And um, just being openly misogynist to talk about how much he loves misogyny. Uh, and then he gets into... Um, but how much he loves misogyny as opposed to... Oh, how sure. Yeah, this is like a running a theme. A more direct way of phrasing it. And <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a theme uh, on that podcast, and um, and he gets into uh, Jack Donovan, who was a gay uh, um, alt right kind of figure, like this. Uh, he he. So so the 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 host of Perfume Nationalist is talking about Jack Donovan, saying that he absolutely loved Jack Donovan at first because Jack Donovan is this macho, power lifting, you know, white nationalist, and then and then he kind of lost interest in Donovan when Donovan went right into this kind of weird esoteric fascism with the Wolves of Vinland. And then he abandoned Jack Donovan completely when Jack Donovan kind of did a 180 on the alt-right and said, I don't want to be affiliated with the alt-right anymore at all. And so, so the host of Perfume Nationalist says that's when really Jack Donovan just totally lost it when he disavowed the alt-right. Um, he even uses a homophobic slur to describe the act of disavowing the alt-right, um, which I think that the host of um, Perfume okay, Nationalist- I've got, a, here, I've got a pull quote from your story in the Daily Beast from the Perfume Nationalist podcast. Quote, me too is the result of female moral panic over male sexuality masquerading as social justice, female irrationality gone awry, end quote. Yeah, that's kind of misogynist, I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's nothing. That is nothing. Like I said, I mean, he's talking about thirsting over uh, Fuhrer figures and, and fascists. I mean, this is, this is like a pretty overt, you know, situation here. Um, and uh, and yeah, so, okay. so and, and people from this this ostensibly left uh, podcast called Red Scare uh, did some kind of a joint uh, interview with him, or no, 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 no. They each went on. 
yeah, one yeah, the yeah, other. yeah. And so it was i think i don't remember who went first but so there was one episode with one of the red scare co-hosts co-host right, right 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 yeah 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 they were interviewed and then after that there's the red scare co-host were interviewed on perfume nationalist all right and red scare i mean the name is very telling because that's the same kind of like you know sneering sarcastic name red scare that you also have in uh, the podcast useful idiots a more popular and mainstream one of the same tendency where they're kind of like poking fun at people who would accuse them of um of being you know manipulated by uh by 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 putin and she yeah and, and implying that any criticism of putin and she is um is red baiting and mccarthyism as if putin and she were communists which they aren't i mean uh-huh. putin, not even in name yeah i mean and, and i and i i think it is important to say like some people do go too far right i mean like you can get into steve bannon territory you know where that guy's like a super hawk self-described super hawk where he's just like we need to uh, annihilate the ccp and we and he's using all of this like eliminationist rhetoric to describe like the war on the ccp and stuff and it's hard to listen to that and not feel that or like not under—I don't want to say feel or understand the rage, but not like realize the palpable anger and aggression that's going on there. And he also has like his his theme song is like hate rock. It's 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 like really intense. Well, I mean, you know, it's a fine line to uh, to walk, especially now with the whole wave of anti-Asian attacks going on. You know, there has to be some way to um, absolutely oppose anti-Asian racism in the United States without, yeah. uh, you know, loaning any support to the oppressive uh, regime of the People's Republic of China. And conversely, yeah. <laughs> there has to be a way of calling out Xi Jinping on the racist Islamophobic order that he is imposing in the People's Republic of China without in any way loaning any comfort or support to the uh, the, the xenophobic, uh, you know, um, uh, upsurge, which is happening here in our own country. I mean, yeah. you know, you have to be able to, to walk and chew gum at the same time. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, people people who are, will criticize you for being xenophobic, for criticizing, you know, what's happening to the the Uyghurs, will absolutely turn around and use uh, Islamophobic war on terror rhetoric to talk about to basically excuse repression of the Uyghurs, talking about how oh they're right, life's you know, little ironies terrorists you know they're like you know uh there is like this huge fire yes, and similarly you know and similarly playing that same card to uh to portray any uh resistance or opposition to bashar assad in syria as you know islamist extremism and jihadism blah 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 yes 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 like and, and i mean yeah I, I i totally agree that you know like there is a real problem with sectarian political violence, you know, throughout the world. There is in Lebanon. We're having some the, audio the, the trouble, serious, I think. No, we're all right. I think that the, the serious solidarity uh, activists that I know are the first to bring this up and say, you know, like, we hate, we, we, we hate al-Nusra, right? Like, we're not exactly we're big all, fans of ISIS. We all hate like, the Nusra front and ISIS, et cetera, et cetera. And, the, you know, the particular despicable <laughs> thing about it is that the, you know, the Syrian rebels and opposition who are being tarred as Nusra and ISIS by these propagandists 
are themselves been fighting Nusrat and ISIS. Exactly. You know? and, so you, and then Literally, you get called been a, fighting them. And then you get called like an out of territories. Exactly. And then they'll call you an Al Qaeda supporter. Um, uh, right, for, for supporting the people who are fighting Al Qaeda. I know it's completely utter through the looking glass Orwellian. All right. So why don't you tell us about, um, well, a couple of things I want to get through. First, you mentioned um, the force, the vote phenomenon. For people who aren't aware, that's this whole campaign, which is being led primarily by Jimmy Dore to kind of um, uh, uh, bash um, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for not being willing to you know, force the vote on universal health care. So do you want to talk about uh, Jimmy Dore's um, involvement in this whole nexus briefly? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a real shame, you know, because I think uh, uh, AOC has done a lot for, you know, basically just like raising the standards, the political standards in the United States. Uh, I don't think that she deserves to be attacked that way. I think it does carry an air of misogyny with it. Um, and I think, uh, you know, while, you know, my politics might be different, I'm not, I, I don't know, like, I just don't think, you know, you have to settle political scores with those kinds of tones and that kind of like aggression and, and, and attitude there. Um, well, so, there's a place for aggression and attitude. <laughs> but against leftists. Yeah. Like, like against progressives, like, I don't think that it's, I mean, she never countered with that, right? She never really like matched that or started or instigated. All right, so, so well, well, I mean, Dor, I know it is mentioned in your, um, in your Daily Beast piece. Yeah, so, uh, because, because he brought on a boogaloo boy and totally uncritically, not just uncritically, he was, he rolled out the red carpet to the guy and just rattled off like a list of things he agreed with him on. The only thing he said that he might have, uh, you know, take exception to was the gun stuff. And it's like, that's mind blowing because the boogaloo boys are like a gun group where the ideology is just kind of thrown in there, <laughs> like wherever it goes. But um, so he said, you know, I might disagree with you on the gun thing, but then right, he, is this he walked that back. He walked it back. He said, he said, well, I don't know because the cops are the only ones who were armed and that's not a good situation and this, that, and the other. It's like, so no, 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 you're just like handing this guy, you know, a full on platform. All right, and this guy is Magnus Panvidya? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, so the thing is, I mean, I'm not going to lie and say the guy doesn't put like a, uh, a good PR face on what is otherwise a really, really uh, uh, terrible movement, right? Because I mean, and, and, and this is the whole nature of how, how the far right insinuates itself in radical subcultures is by, is by saying, oh, no, no, we, we like fully embrace this rainbow flag and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I just talked about Jack Donovan, who was like this gay fascist guy. Um, and, and then in, uh, in Miami, after the uh, Pulse nightclub shooting, the alt-right started bringing out rainbow flags with Islamophobic slogans. Right, 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 right. So they'll take advantage of whatever social rupture exists. Where right, they can Jimmy Dorb is a member of the Movement for a People's Party Advisory Council. No, what, yeah. what is the Movement for a People's Party? 
I don't even know. I mean, that's just some kind of like idea that they're sort of like going in the direction of creating a new third party that's like not going to be left, not going to be right, but it's going to be populist, you know, and it's kind of like, I mean, like a lot of populist movements, I'm not an anti-populist, right? I, I don't know if anti-populism is even a tenable position, given how thin-centered, you know, to draw on Casmuda's terms, uh, how thin-centered populism actually is. Like, you really have to define what populism is per se before you're able to say whether you're against it. And it seems like defining populism is like nailing jelly to the wall. But um, what tends to happen in my observations is when, when populist movements are not led by uh, people who are quite perspicacious, they just end up in conspiracy theory, you know, Alice through the, you know, in, in Wonderland type of. of All places. right, let's talk about your, um, uh, your little escapade with the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center. Yeah, let's talk about it. I mean, you, uh, have, when, what year was that? That would have been uh, two years Three. ago? Three years ago now. Three years yeah. ago now, 2018. Ago. Yeah, three years ago. A multi-series report for the Southern Poverty Law Center on uh, the quote-unquote the multipolar spin, how fascists operationalize left-wing resentment. Uh, and uh, this was... Um, uh, ultimately removed from their website after some of the people who you discussed complained and sicked attorneys on them, including Max Blumenthal. Right, right. So, so me and Max have a little history. You know, we're we're not the best friends. Um, I've never met him. Um, so yeah, uh, he and Tim Pool maybe. Um, a couple of other people who are associated with the gray zone uh, threatened to sue um, the Southern Poverty Law Center. It was really weird straight from the beginning because um, they sent a document retention order to me demanding that I retain all uh, um, um, what you, correspondence with people I'd never met before. <laughs> so they, they immediately thought- Or you know, corresponded with, you mean, right? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. So, so one of the three people I had very, very small correspondence, you know, for one over the course of like 15 minutes on a completely different issue, like a year prior, but the other two I'd never even heard of. <laughs> all right, so, so the upshot of all this was that it was removed from the Southern Poverty Law Center website. And they had this kind of like weird conspiracy theory about me and uh, um, and these other sort of uh, people who they thought were silent partners. And uh, Blumenthal what, went- What, what on, was the conspiracy theory? Well, Blumenthal went on RT and basically elaborated a little bit saying, this is not the work of one man, but a cabal of interests. <laughs> Verbatim, quote unquote, cabal of interests. You can go back and listen to the interview. Uh, uh, hand to God, I, I, I swear, I think that's exactly what he said. Uh -huh. This is not the work of one man, but a cabal of interests. Um, right, and now, now he's saying that the Southern Poverty Law Center, quote unquote, retracted your story, your, uh, your, your, your work, your research. 
in fact, they did not retract it. They merely removed it. And their um, uh, explanation and apology, quote unquote, that they issued um, uh, merely stated that they apologized to, quote, those who believe that they have been falsely described in your mm-hmm. work, including mm-hmm. Max Blumenthal, Ben Norton, Ron Yakalik, Brian Becker, formerly of the Workers' World Party, I believe currently of the Party for Socialism and Liberation, etc. Right. So note how that's worded. Though, quote, those who believe they have been falsely described, end quote. So th- they did not acknowledge that you actually made any factual errors, only no. that people took offense at it because you yeah. called them out. Yeah, and it's funny so that's, because- That's not what I call a retraction. That's what I call caving in. Well, <laughs> Bill, they, so, so this is the funny thing about calling the piece a cabal of interests or whatever. Um, he also, he also um, insisted that the, the article hadn't even been edited. And in fact, it had been, uh, uh, what was the word he used, smuggled into the, the SPLC. Um, in fact, I, I had uh, sent the article to, I think it was six or seven uh, experts uh, to read over the article and, and offer me um, you know, uh, advice or criticism or, you know, constructive sort of comments. Some did. Uh, I think I got a couple of people who said, you know, you could actually work on a couple of things here. You could cite this person there. Um, but they all said it was good. You know, none of them had any blocking kind of objections to, to, to anything in the article. Uh, of course, the article had been through edits. I think it went through three drafts. Um, All right. So, I mean, I was I just in a cringe that the Southern Poverty Law Center removed this article. And, you know, up to this point, my attitude about the Southern Poverty Law Center, kind of like Spencer Sunshine, I acknowledge that they, they've done really, really good work and really yeah. important research. But I've yeah. also kind of had some problems with them over the years. And here's where we're getting, uh, we're going to cut to the, uh, get straight to the bone of what I really wanted to address is that one of the, my problems with Southern Poverty Law Center is that they're kind of um, boosters for law enforcement. And you know, how you deal with armed fascists <laughs> is a very, very tricky problem. There isn't any yeah. easy answer to that dilemma. Okay, yeah. but certainly, um, you know, looking to law enforcement, uh, you know, and the, and the national security state, if you will, to deal with, uh, you know, armed fascists, uh, opens up its own set of contradictions, shall we say? Yeah, for and, sure. Uh, you know, for, for instance, back in the, um, <laughs> uh, you know, after um, uh, after the, uh, the the massacre in um, well, Charlottesville, the um, they were saying, you know, people were like mobilizing the, the, the whole debate about Antifa and whether we're actually going to get out there in the street and confront these guys, and they were saying no. Hold your own anti-fascist rallies away yeah. from them. Don't confront yeah. them. Leave it to the police. Right. I'm not sure I go along with that. I hear that. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I think, I think, you know, people who are protesting fascism are doing a very brave thing, right? Um, and and obviously, you know, protest like. 
face hand to hand face to face confrontations with fascists in broad daylight in like a force on force type of situation that is not an ideal situation for anybody nobody wants that to happen there's so many things that can go wrong and if it's come to that that means that organizing in 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 some ways has actually failed like we need to get to a place where they're not able to come out in numbers right and when they are that means we're already in a lot of trouble you know and i've come out to to protest fascists you know i i've done that um whole thing i've been assaulted in the streets of portland who hasn't really i mean it's just like something you do in portland on a saturday um but um you know, I think it's been a pretty uh, rocking place in recent <laughs> years. That's for sure. <clears throat> uh, it's it's been really traumatic for everybody who lives here. It's been it's been horrifying. It's been terrible. You know, um, speaking for myself, just getting assaulted, the death threats, the um, the. Or right, from who? Huge, from who? Who assaulted you? Who's been giving you death threats? Oh, there was a proud boy on June 30th, I think it was, 2018, right in the street. It was actually on video. Um, the death threats, I mean, that happened uh, after Quillette ran this crazy article saying that myself and basically every journalist in Portland was uh, Antifa. Um, and then uh, I got uh, put up on... Um, what was it called? Um, some, uh, this actually happened after my Daily Beast article too. Uh, I, I was brought up on uh, this uh, ClearNet site, basically a spinoff from 4chan specifically dedicated to online internet stalking. And uh, my, my photo was also included. Uh, this was back in, in a couple of years ago now, just uh, back a couple of years ago. Um, in a video called Sunset the Media, along with a few of my friends. Um, so, you know, I've been harassed. I've, I've been, this isn't my first rodeo, but it is significant that the kind of harassment that I've experienced in the last few weeks is uh, uh, not just reminiscent of what I experienced from the fascists. It's, you know. All right, I, and this new harassment in the last few weeks has been from, uh has been fallout from the piece about you and Gray Zone. Um, and it's been connected. It's certainly, it's been, it's been connected. Uh, it started even before I actually wrote my, I, it, it started before I actually published the article in the Daily Beast. People were already sending me death, or not death threats actually, they were sending me hate mail because the, in the lead up to the publication of that article, I was being denounced by Blumenthal and Jimmy Dore because I was sending them email uh, questions. I was sending them questions. Uh, you know, um, do you feel like, you know, these things are uh, opening the door to anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and so on. And so then they would just throw stuff at me on their platforms. Um, and then, you know, information would then get channeled into uh, this uh, basically like a cyber stalking forum online. Um, and then uh, I just started getting, I probably got, I, I got like a few uh, emails like hate mail um, before the piece was published. And then when it was published, I then got like deluged on um, social right, media. So when, when what was published? 
the 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 article in Daily Beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was deluged on social media. People were hitting me up on LinkedIn, being like, right, no, this, you're this, a time, fraud. "This time, this time, it is it is not you know the uh, uh, the, the the Proud Boys and the alt right. This time, it's you know the supposed <clears throat> left." It's it's kind of just Looney Tunes at this point. I mean, um, there were people just leaving inappropriate comments on a photo of my kid on Instagram, uh, so I had to lock down my Instagram. And it's, so it's, it's serious. It's serious. It's like really scary and weird. Yeah, it's like okay. Really and scary then, and but I didn't get death threats this time around. The death threats were from the fascist thing. Oh uh, well, good, good, good. Glad to hear that. Yeah. So okay, then on March fourteenth, uh, there's a picture of you in gray zone. Sure. Yeah. Alongside, yeah, yeah. alongside the logos of the Central Intelligence Agency the Homeland Security Department and the NYPD <clears throat> with the right, headline, right. Alexander Reed Ross, disgraced author <laughs> of several retracted articles, works with ex-cops, CIA spies, and DHS agents. And this is all um, related to your work with a, uh, your fellowship, in fact, with the uh, recently founded Network Contagion Research Institute. Have I got that right? You got it. Bang on the nose. All right. So um, what's the truth of all of this? I mean, the truth of it is that the Network Contagion Research Institute, like you, like, what do you, what, you talked about the SPLC, it's a very similar operation. It's like the SPLC, it's like the ADL, they're like, uh, or the Center for Analysis of the Radical Right. Um, they're a institutional um, organization uh, opposing hate and disinformation, right? So it's really kind of in my wheelhouse. Um, so, you know, I took the fellowship because this is, you know, exactly what I study. It's what I do. They get the kind of uh, sort of high tech wonky tools that I like to use, Studio and, you know, spatial modeling and that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, they basically, you know, let me follow up uh, what I want to do. So um, I, I work with them, you know, in that capacity, just researching. I've got two reports with them uh, researching QAnon and COVID-19 sort of denial and, and the protests related to it. And I mean, I understand why they oppose my stuff, but they never talk about the stuff in the reports, right? They talk about all the affiliations and all of that kind all of right, stuff. Let me, let me briefly quote from the article and talk about those affiliations. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, <laughs> Ross has co-authored reports with the retired chief of operations for counterintelligence at the CIA, ex-department of Homeland Security officials, former police officers, and even an erstwhile Republican congressman who proudly calls himself a Bigfoot scholar. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm actually not... makes me seem cooler. Right, go but... ahead, go ahead. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I think that that's fine. I mean, uh, you know, whatever. Like, the, the issue for me is about what you're producing and not necessarily who you're producing it with. Obviously, I, I draw the line at white nationalism and fascism. Um, a lot of these uh, people who are co-authoring the reports are with the Miller Center at Rutgers, which is actually a prestigious organization, right? So um, 
they are they're jumping on my back for working with a pretty prestigious academic organization um, with Rutgers. And there's a Princeton University associate professor in there who's actually uh, done a lot of really good work. Um, so Pamela Pariski, I mean, some of these people in the in the uh, co-author, you know, byline, I who whose politics I do kind of mesh with, or you know, on a personal level, I kind of mesh with them, even if I don't. Right, like, but there's also there's Karen other people. Holden. There's other people who I don't, you know, Kelly I don't who is actually the former chief of operations for counterintelligence at the CIA. Is that correct? I guess I don't know. I, I don't really know her. I have not I've not really like interacted with her. She she's, All right, so what what in fact is the nature of your quote collaboration with her? Well, that's precisely, there isn't one. She's one of the co-authors on this uh, this article. I guess she, you know, maybe made some comments on the Google Doc, but I don't remember her having like a very uh, prominent role in the in the writing of the text. All right, uh, and the text being viral disinformation of the COVID vaccine? I, you know, if that's what it says on the paper, I don't uh, I don't remember exactly what the title or, or, or the hatter or this, that, or the other. My... My own particular uh, involvement in this in this paper was uh, making maps and uh, to some extent explaining some of the modeling that went into developing an understanding of when, where, and why uh, these protests against COVID were taking place. And we actually took a pretty moderate position looking at you know um, people's susceptibility to conspiracy theories online. Uh, Google searches for New World Order. We looked at demographic stuff, which didn't necessarily match up. But what did match up was other right-wing uh, protests in the area. So this was really interesting because it looked like, and it looks like, um, this is a mobilization, an ongoing mobilization that's tied to, um, you know, Blue Lives Matter stuff, that's tied to Stop the Steal stuff, and that's tied to not as much with Stop the Steal stuff, because that was more in swing states, but definitely like Blue, Blue Lives Matter and uh, intimidation of uh, Black Lives Matter uh, protesters. So I really think it's important to get this data out there and to let the data uh, uh, tell this story, right? Because we need to have a nuanced approach. We need to have nuanced understandings of things, but they don't want to talk about that because Max Blumenthal on a recent uh, podcast was talking about how, you know, I think he said, if I'm going to be totally conspiratorial, I think that uh, QAnon is a deep state psyop, you know? And he keeps on bringing in like, or, or like one of the guys who's associated with the gray zone, um, I'm Here sorry, this is, getting, this is going over my head, Matt. Who is saying, or, or, or who is saying that somebody else is saying that QAnon is a deep state psyop? No, Max Blumenthal said that. He actually said that QAnon yeah. is a deep state psyop. Yeah. yeah, he said he thought that QAnon was a deep state psyop. He's talking about it in the context of how 9-11 went, kind of like 9-11 truthers sort of went into the Infowars circuit and he's having this conversation with Ray McGovern. Uh, who actually is on the Infowars circuit? <laughs> this is kind of like a little slap in the face to his uh, to his guest there. Um, but uh, surprise, surprise! Ray McGovern is an unapologetic CIA veteran. He's in the CIA for like seven decades. I don't know, probably not seven. Seven presidents, I think he said. Um, you know, so I mean, uh, he's, sorry, he's, and who, who is he, and what's his relation to this whole? Ray McGovern, Ray McGovern was on Max Blumenthal's podcast. 
so Ray McGovern is this longtime unapologetic veteran of, of the CIA. Oh my like God. Guesting on Max Blumenthal's podcast, throwing around conspiracy theories. Oh um, my God. All right, well, see, this is the, the point that <laughs> I'm going to make is that, <clears throat> you know, I mean, these people, I didn't even know that Blumenthal had actually also been schmoozing with um, some CIA veteran. Oh, I sure. Because they don't care. They don't well, really care. If somebody, but if somebody's suddenly been, you know, um, uh, avidly promoted on RT, which is a, um, yeah. sure. an arm of, of Russian state propaganda. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's taken these uh, apparent pro-regime junkets to Syria, etc. So there's certainly a certain hypocrisy in him, you know, trying to portray you as some kind of like a, you know, a collaborator with with the state. Because that, yeah, yeah. that same accusation can be made of him. But putting apart the whole question of, um, of uh, you know, of their hypocrisy, let me just play devil's advocate here for a minute. Don't, uh, you know, we open ourselves to the same accusation of hypocrisy if, you know, we call out these uh, red-brown charlatans for uh, you know collaborating with, uh, with with RT and the and the Assad regime, uh, and then even with you know ex-CIA guys. If then we participate in an outfit which has got ex-CIA guys and ex-Homeland Security guys, I mean it's kind of, even just from a from a tactical standpoint, it's kind of a dilemma. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear that. I, I think like, you know, I could just, you know, start talking about, you know, this is academia. It's not like a anarchist clubhouse. You know, this isn't this isn't like a, a, your, you know, treehouse where you get to pick and choose all your best friends to work with. This is like the real world where, you know, um, you have to contend with people you don't agree with. Um, you know, I, I know, like, coming from uh, the Earth First background, some of my friends from those days, like, have to sit in on uh, collaborative meetings with Forest Service people, with, you know, timber industry lobbyists, or with uh, timber industry CEOs, and, 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 and uh, you know, basically just uh, uh, sort of uh, presidents and that sort of thing, because what they're doing is they're trying to hash out uh, some subtle small victories there. They're trying to say, okay, well, we're going to protect these areas, right? And they're trying to do that so that they don't have to go into the direct action phase. Um, I don't think that there's anything wrong with working collaboratively on honest goals uh, with honest work. And I think that's what separates it. Like, I'm not, I've, I've never been somebody who would say, no, I'm never going to collaborate with centrists I'm never gonna collaborate with anybody who's tied to the state. I've never been that guy. I've always said, you know, I'm gonna hold a candle in my window for that, you know, person who wants to collaborate and who wants to do this. But the thing is, the rejection of the state for me has been a pragmatic thing because the state has really disagreed with my take on life in a lot of contexts. And um, at this point, I find that there might be an opening for uh, a realignment against fascism in the United States. Whereas for the past five years, there has been a realignment with fascism, right? So I think we need to break that. I think we need to use every single tool in our toolbox to blast fascism out into outer space. 
<laughs> that's what I think. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I understand that, you know, including, including, you know, at least, you know, some kind of a tactical, uh, you know, limited collaboration with, uh, you know, people who are linked to the CIA or the, uh, the uh, Homeland Security Department or the NYPD counterintelligence unit. That's not, so there's a difference between working on a report with, you know, a group that has these sorts of like people as strategists or whatever um, in their board of directors or whatever on the one hand and actually like directly collaborating with those individuals, right? So that's one thing. Um, And then the other thing is that you know, like there are abolitionists who, you know, go into city hall or go into, you know, uh, policy areas and they have to work with, you know, types that, you know, aren't exactly going to come out to the protest or the potluck, you know. It's, well, when when it's you say abolitionists, you mean police abolitionists? Police or prison abolitionists, yeah. 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 That's, that's my politics, right? I want to find a way to, you know, um, disarm the police. And I'm sorry, like, you know, that's my, I'm, my parents are from England. I think that gun culture in the United States is out of the sort of like realm of rationality. And I think that, you know, um, disarming the police would go a long way to actually building a better and more sane place. Um, but, you know, like, I feel the same way about prisons. I don't think prisons are helping anybody at all. I do think that policing and prisons in this country are inherited from a systemic, you know, crisis of racism, not to mention just patriarchy in general, um, that, you know, need to be completely rethought. We need to rethink how we treat people in this country just across the board. Um, I don't think that working on a report about QAnon or about, COVID conspiracy theories and how and why they work is disruptive to those goals. I think on the other hand, uh, quite the contrary, what I'm working on is trying to disrupt the, the far right echo chamber. And even to some extent, you know, a, a, a radical echo chamber, the silo that we can get into where we can't help ourselves, we can't help uh, anybody. And we're just running around, you know, um, uh, fighting each other. So, you know, what I think needs to be done is to stop the disinformation. That's why they really hate me. Uh, Because you're working to stop the disinformation. Period. That's why they hate me. Yeah. They are producing it. I'm trying to stop it. They're like (laughs) saying basically like, you know, I, I mean, okay, so in my article for the, for the Daily Beast, I talk about um, some people who are kind of playing footsie with the QAnon stuff saying, okay, it's 50% right. The only thing wrong about it is that Trump isn't involved in the deep state cabal that's, you know, sacrificing children and harvesting their adrenochrome. Um, but like... Well, I'm, well the, 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 the QAnon people think that Trump was trying to save us all from the deep state cabal. Right. No. And so so what 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 I found is that there are some people on the left who say, you know, well, they're right in their like conspiracy thinking, but they're wrong in thinking that Trump is right, the savior. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's it's a whole nother, you know, 
Well, I mean, you uh, know, there are conspiracies and there are conspiracies. I mean, you know, Watergate and Contragate and, uh, you know, the whole um, in invention of the non-existent uh, weapons of mass destruction threat in Iraq, et cetera, et cetera. Those were all real conspiracies, which turned out to be true. But, you know, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, that there's a, uh, you know, a, a deep state cabal of, um, of Satan worshiping um, uh, pederasts who, you know, are secretly running the government. And it also doesn't mean that QAnon is a psyop by the deep state. Right, or exactly, Conspiracy yes. theories look bad. Yeah. Right? I mean, How yeah. down this rabbit hole do you want to go? It turns into a house of mirrors at a certain point. And, and look, like I said, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I, I've been around these, these circles for a long time. Um, and uh, I, I, I wasn't speaking out for a while. I mean, like, I remember back in, when the Iraq war started, I was like, everybody knew it was gonna happen. You knew it was gonna happen and you opposed it, right? And you said, you know, all this stuff about, um, you know, uh, weapons of mass destruction, you know, if, if it is true, there's no way they'll find out. And it might not just be true at all <laughs> because it just looks really like. And it proved it, not to be true. I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it was and it was obvious that they just wanted to fight Saddam Hussein and 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 that Iraq was the big bad guy that everybody identified, you know, in the area. So they went in and they and they did it. And and I opposed that, you know. Um, a lot of people didn't, but have come around apparently. But I think like, you know, it's it's part of our principles as journalists to really investigate and understand things. Um, and that doesn't mean just your job is just to poke holes in whatever narrative, you know, mainstream media can, can you know, uh, pass yeah, together. I hate the word narrative. narrative is a propaganda word. Nobody right. ever refers to their own point of view as a narrative. It's only the other guy's <laughs> point of view, which is a narrative. It's sure. inherently a dishonest word. But uh, just let me play devil's advocate here again, okay? Um, if it is, uh, you know, unethical and, sl and sleazy for, um, you know, uh, Max Blumenthal to um, collaborate with RT on the basis of, you know, common enemies in U.S. imperialism, why does that principle not apply to... Um, to uh, Alex Re Alexander Reed Ross, uh, you know, working with uh, CIA and uh, Homeland Security veterans on the basis of common enemies on the radical right. What's, what, what's your answer to this? Well, like I said, I'm not exactly working with these folks. This isn't like, this is, it's, it's kind of like a part-time job where I've, I've written reports and produced data for reports, right? So I'm not like, just like hanging out in some kind of like boardroom or like, you know, in these sorts of like Zoom chats or whatever. It's like, they were launching the same criticisms against me while my work was still up at the SPLC saying that, oh, the SPLC, they work with cops, they work with the state, they work with the FBI you know, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. And at the time I was like, you know, your criticisms are, you know, valuable and I understand them. But at some point, you know, when we are this deep down in the hole, we have to start figuring out how to get out. And sometimes that does mean, you know, we have to make decisions to, um, 
get our work out there and to um, promote integrity and honesty uh, against disinformation and against collaboration with white nationalism, with fascism, with the far right. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's basically where my point has been. It's not like I'm uh, sort of, uh, you know, collaborating on, you know, anything other than what is fully transparent about my work. You hear what I'm saying? Like, um, and, and you could say, oh, well, these guys are the bad guys, right? These guys are the ones who are doing bad things. And so, um, you know, I mean, I faced down the DHS in front of the Justice Center in Portland, like everybody else in the city, right? I got tear gassed, you know, I got uh, shot at just like everybody else. Um, and, and, and yet you are a, a co-author of this report on vaccine conspiracy theory with Brian Harrell, a former assistant secretary for infrastructure protection at the Department of Homeland Security. Well, so, I mean, infrastructure protection, when you're talking about COVID vaccines is actually quite important. You can't have COVID vaccines actually being, you know, blown up for example, I mean, like, we, I think that that is something that we should all have shared understanding of. Um, but again, like, he's in the Miller Center, the Miller Center at Rutgers. This is how his involvement in this thing was. Uh, the Miller, uh, and, the, and the Miller Center is collaborating in this research with the, uh, the network NCRI, the, uh, the Network Contagion Research Institute. Exactly. So, so this isn't my, you know, um, my gang, <laughs> okay? Like, I'm not like, I'm not like, uh, um... All right, so you've never actually met either uh, in the flesh or via Zoom with, uh, <clears throat> with Brian Harrell or um, Kelly. I don't, know, I, I don't know Brian Harold at all. Like, uh, you know, it's, I don't know him. <laughs> um, my work at the, the Network Contagion uh, Research Institute is doing these reports. And then also I help um, teach uh, students at Rutgers um, about open source investigative techniques, about spatial analysis, about spatial quantitative analysis. So I actually provide teaching services for students about these issues. Um, the kind of like, you know, well, what about this guy? What about that guy? What about that guy? You could do the same thing with the Portland State University Geography Department. You could do the same thing with uh, Portland State University's trustees, okay? And I'm, I'm personally, I love everybody in the Portland State University Geography Department, okay? But like, if there was somebody in there who wasn't, who didn't necessarily share my politics, it doesn't mean that like, you know, we can't be in the same geography department. Um, obviously that doesn't extend to fascism and white nationalism. I think that this is one of the fundamental things about my work that maybe a lot of people don't necessarily understand is that I believe that fascism and white nationalism are the, are, they have to be fought away from the core of this country, right? Um, and, you know, they're rooted into conspiracy theories and it's the conspiracy theories that bring them, that transmit them over into the left. And so, you know, without doing anything carceral myself or contributing to anything carceral myself, 
I think we can work in think tanks and we can work uh, in institutes and groups, you know, um, that are geared towards resolving these problems. Sometimes we in our little groups have a lot of power to do things locally, but we need more support, right? And I mean, this is part of also like me as an anarchist or a, a, a libertarian socialist. Um, I don't believe in the absolute, you know, um, the absolute sort of, what would you call it, negation or the non-participation um, with the state. I think there needs to be autonomous social movements that will take power for people to share so that we can transition a model of socialism that will exist outside of the state independently of the state. Um, it's sort of like my ideal, right? But I don't think that to get there, what we need to do is, you know, absolutely wage constant, you know, uh, uh, war, um, against every single side of the state. Otherwise, I wouldn't have accepted food stamps when I was really poor, when I was really broke, right? Like, I wouldn't, I, I don't want to call myself ever really poor because I, I've come from a, a, you know, place of privilege in my life. But, you know, when I, when I didn't have money and I didn't really have a good job or anything like that, I, you know, food stamps, you know, I, there are things about the state that the state can do that can really help us. Now we can work through the state. Well, but I'm certainly, you know, grateful for uh, for rent control here in New York City, <laughs> for sure. instance. Which so so again, I'm not like a, a like a total. Well, one could argue, Alex. One one could argue that you know certainly under the past four years of Trump, DHL DHS itself sort of became a uh, you know a, a, a radical right uh, you know white nationalist organization. Well, I, who was it? Was it ICE who, who almost like put out the 14 words? I mean, there are all of these kinds of weird sort of insinuations and stuff. And then, you know, like I said, I mean, I was in the streets against the, the DHS people here in Portland. I mean, and I don't want to like, you know, cast myself as this like hugely radical figure sort of like out of the blue when I, you know, like I said, I mean, I just, you know, explained to you like my own feelings about strategies and tactics inside out. Um, I don't think of, you know, um, you know, for example, US support to um, the YPG, YPJ um, and the- well, Kurds in Syria. Sure, and I don't want to. I don't want to like be, be naive about about the the uh, the PYD and stuff like that in Syria. Um, well, a lot of alphabet soup. These are all um, either <laughs> parties or militias, which are uh, one way or another uh, organs of the the Rojava Kurds in in northern Syria. Who, um, I mean, it's a complicated situation. I mean, they have the notoriously they have. Uh, these very idealistic, you know, anarchist-informed politics. They kind of look to Murray Bookchin as a uh, an ideological guru, and so on. And yet, they have been forced um, uh, by uh, conditions not of their own choosing. The fact that they were up against the um, up against the wall and threatened with extermination by ISIS, they were yeah. forced to 
to an alliance with U.S. imperialism. And they actually had U.S. Green Berets embedded among their ranks, and they were coordinating with U.S. airstrikes in their ground campaign against ISIS, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Yeah. So life is complicated. That's that's basically what I've found. You know, it's it's easy to be a purist, but, you know, if you're going to be a purist, be the purist, if ISIS is not coming to exterminate you, that's when it's easy to be a purist. <laughs> I mean, sure. I, I think, you know, I think it's a it's a it's a tough call. Everybody's got to make their up their own minds. I'm not asking anybody to have like faith in me, some kind of radical professor or something like that. Um, I can have faith in myself that my projects, that what I'm putting out there is genuine and that it's good, right? Um, I don't need a fan club, y'all. I'm just, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, I, I wouldn't mind one. You know, you can send me cookies in the mail. Um, please don't actually, that'll be terrifying. Um, but no, I mean, all I'm saying is, you know, my work does speak for itself. And um, what I've accomplished in these reports is super important. Um, that's why it's going in, you know, the Times and, and, and the Post and stuff like that. And again, I'm not trying to like to New York Times and the Washington Post. The yeah, New York I, Times and the Washington Post. Right, exactly. So, yeah. so you know, so, and, and the other thing, God, the, the thing that always gets me is like, like you said, like at the beginning of the Blumenthal article about me, he just like rattles off all this stock, all these stock phrases about me that he has like, oh, this guy is completely, you know, discredited or, or disgraced and stuff. And it's like, well, my work is going in like the major, you know, I got a PhD, I've got all this stuff. Like I will never have enough credibility for Max Blumenthal until I start saying things like, well, if I'm going to be totally conspiratorial, QAnon is a deep state psyop, you know, like I'm not going to have any credibility unless I suddenly start saying, you know, um, uh, the Uyghurs are actually, you know, not being mass detained. You know, um, I, I, I just think it's ludicrous to try and, and, and gain credibility in some kind of mudslinging match with Grey Zone. I mean, it's really garbage tier. I, what did Gilbert Achar called him uh, 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 gutter journalism? I think he's spot on. They, they, they came after him because he was teaching classes which were attended by military uh, personnel, I believe. Um, and his classes are anti-imperialist classes. So what he's trying to do is convey this sort of like understanding of the Middle East, especially in North Africa, for people who might be going into the military or who might be in the military in order to try to disabuse them of, you know, a lot of Orientalist tropes, which would otherwise really lead to some pretty significant harm for Middle Easterners. And so Grey Zone attacked him saying that, you know, oh, he's collaborating with, you know, the, the, the military and the imperialists and all this stuff. And he wrote a very, very apt response, a very, very lucid, um, erudite response of repudiation, point by point repudiation of all of their, you know, opinions. And I, I kind of feel like, you know, he did a great job, but like, is it really worth the energy, you know? And at this point, like, I'm not even, I'm not even sure. I just think like they're, you know, 
Well, yeah, unfortunately, you know, uh, this is this is potent propaganda. The last thing that I want to say before we wrap it up here yeah. is, that, uh, you know, there's all this uh, uh, paranoia, uh, much of it legitimate, <laughs> about um, the so-called COINTELPRO uh, back in the 1960s, the FBI counterintelligence program, which was aimed at breaking up the uh, Black Panthers and the New Left and the American Indian Movement and the Puerto Rican Independence Movement, et cetera. And uh, basically, they were trying to, uh, you know, they infiltrated these organizations, not just to gather information, but to try to um, create paranoia in these organizations as to who was an infiltrator and to get everybody suspicious of each other so that these movements would just be cannibalized and would collapse into factionalism. Yeah. And it worked. Totally right. <laughs> I mean, this was totally a big right. part of what led to the demise of the Black Panthers was exactly this kind of thing. I mean, it got to the point of, you know, internecine violence within the movement, which actually escalated yeah. to the point of murder and yeah. also in the American Indian movement. So, yeah. um, you know, there's a, it's, it's a really, really, there's actually a phrase for this. They called it snitch jacketing when you right. were trying to, uh, you know, uh, portray somebody who you had a rivalry with or disagreed with or whatever, uh, you know, of being a snitch, of being a government snitch. And this yeah. again, actually escalated to the point of murder back in the 1960s, early 1970s. So, uh, you know, th th when I see um, your, uh, you know, your face and your name appearing on the uh, Gray Zone website alongside of the logos of the CIA and Homeland Security and the NYPD, uh, you know, that just uh, brings back to mind this extremely ugly, dangerous legacy of, um, of snitch jacketing and COINTELPRO and ironically, Ironically, you know, the people who are making these uh, kind of claims and trying to, you know, paint you as being a government agent because you co-authored a, um, a, a report with, uh, you know, some scholars who happen to uh, be veterans of some of these agencies, uh, you know, they're ironically themselves doing the work of the state, whether wittingly or not by, uh, you know, trying to, um, you know, sow this, this, this uh, paranoia, which leads to uh, internecine factionalism. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's true. And, uh, you know, when, when Max Blumenthal talks about me at the Earth First Journal, what he's kind of, what it feels like he's insinuating is that maybe I was some kind of like uh, FBI plant or something like that. And he says, he even, talks about how uh, Earth First was under a lot of uh, uh, heat at that time, right? Like I, I started to work with uh, the journal in 2008 when the Eric McDavid stuff first started going down. Um, Eric McDavid got sentenced to like 20 years in prison for, for d literally doing nothing. Uh, and he was entrapped by an FBI infiltrator um, and the, after spending, I think, six years in prison, he was um, let off, uh, he was let go because the judge just full on said, you know, there wasn't enough evidence in the first place to have convicted you, you know, um, and that was correct. So, you know, the state admitted that it was completely wrong in convicting Eric um, McDavid. And then, um, Marie Mason got sentenced to more than 20 years uh, for some arson that she did. So, so uh, Marius Mason, sorry, uh, back in the day. Um, 
And, uh, and that really impacted people in my community who knew her and really loved her, you know, uh, still do, right? Um, and so, you know, that does touch, you know, that touches me a lot because, you know, Earth First really was sort of um, under the gun back then. And it was really intense to be around that, you know? And um, I don't know, we all knew that you just don't snitch jacket people. Like I, I, I read um, Ward Churchill's book about- uh, Agents of uh, Repression? Yeah, that one about counterintelligence. Yeah, very critical of Ward Churchill too. Sure. But no, no, like, no, no, no. Yes, but that but is a lot that of book. really good research in that book. Yeah, that, that is a good book, and and uh, uh, what he says in there in, about snitch jacketing, just like what you're saying now, is a really good lesson for people. You know that you just don't you just don't do that because it 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 spreads so much paranoia, and it distracts so much from what you're trying to do. And, and like you said, it, it, you can't do anything more to sabotage, you know, any efforts, you know, than, than, uh, than start accusing people in your own circles of, um, of informing on you, you know? I mean, it really is weird. And, and the thing is that I think Max Blumenthal might believe Andy knows kind of story about me, that I am this kind of like, Antifa ideologue who's like you know the president or CEO of Antifa or something like that and I'm really not like I I write I'm I do journalism I go out into the streets sometimes and maybe I'll protest or not but like you know I'm not like I'm not like embedded in any scenes or anything like that nobody here in Portland is worried that I'm some kind of snitch or anything like that because I wouldn't have anything to snitch about. I have a kid, I have a normal life. I'm actually just like an ordinary grown up who writes about this stuff and like doesn't descend into this kind of crazy uh, echo chamber style of abuse and disreputation. It's just silly. Like, why would you do that? Grow up. Um, all right, and uh, he brought up your uh, uh, being a uh, supposed Antifa ideologue. <laughs> Again, Andy No, yeah, perfect. He and Andy No should get drinks. I'm sorry, he and who? Andy No. Andy No is a journalist who lived here, and uh, sort of journalist who lived here, a proud boy ideologue who lived here in uh, Portland for a while, and used to get the Proud Boys to do security for him because somebody threw a milkshake at him and hit him in the face or something like that. Uh, all right, yeah. but did you actually included the description Antifa ideologue on your Twitter bio? I assume that was- that's because, it, because it was so dumb, because it's so dumb. Like why, why, first of all, who berates anybody as an Antifa ideologue? Like how out of touch can you be? Like, what is the opposite of that? Like a fascist ideologue? I don't know, like maybe read the room, but like, other than that, like an Antifa ideologue is somebody who's opposed to fascism ideologically, oh energetically. Who, who actually, did, did somebody else call you that? Or you adopted that, uh, that, that to, to lampoon your critics? No, Andy No called me in, in his book. Called oh, right. me in, what, what, what's his name again? Andy what? 
Andy No, N-G-O. Andy uh, No. So what's the name of his book? Yeah, I don't remember the name of his book. It's some trash. But anyway, he he um it was funny because it was published directly after um uh the whole Trump putsch and uh uh really I think kind of fell flat because like it, that kind of just laid bare all of the ridiculous. Oh, but is, the, the book was critical of Antifa. Yeah, Andy No hates Antifa. He thinks Antifa is like the deep state sort of Leviathan. Right, so for the you know through through the rabbit hole, left is right, uh, you know, black is white, fascism is democracy, blah blah blah. The, the funny thing, the funny thing about calling me a snitch here is that the part of that book that I'm in is the supposed like secret camera expose that Project Veritas did of a book talk that I gave. Um, so like they're trying to expose me as this Antifa radical for doing a book talk. Wow, that's um, pretty of doing a book talk. Anyway, the, the, <laughs> Lumenthal brings up you know, this Antifa connection by way of, uh, you know, uh, pointing out that you uh, co-authored, quote unquote, the report about, um, about uh, vaccine conspiracy theory with this Brian Harrell guy, who's the former assistant secretary for infrastructure protection at the Department of Homeland Security. And uh, he writes, Blumenthal writes, during Harrell's tenure, DHS aggressively cracked down on anti-fascist and left-wing activists formally classifying vandalism by supposed members of the decentralized Antifa movement as, quote, domestic terrorist violence, end quote. Okay, but he's not actually saying that Harold himself, who was involved in infrastructure no. protection, had anything to do with this. Sure. No, but it, 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 it almost makes good copy if it wasn't just so scurrilous, uh, spurious, one of those, uh, or both. Uh, anyway, I mean, I, I, yeah, I just think it's all gutter journalism, you know, it's all just like, well, you wrote this report, you know, this other guy is on the byline. So you guys are uh, basically in cahoots uh, in everything else that you're doing, you know, and, 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 and you both approve of each other uh as as sort of like you know your career and life choices all the way down the line you know it's like i'm not getting getting married to the guy you know and i i don't know i just think it's it's a it's a remarkable sort of uh purity test for a guy who does you know uh press conferences with maduro who's like <laughs> police forces are doing extrajudicial killings or or who has just Sort of right, but that's all imperialist lies, isn't it? There's, there's no repression or human rights uh, violations <laughs> going on in Venezuela. No, no. I'm sorry, I'm being Heavens, No, no, but, I mean, I, I, but it, it's the boy who cried wolf too. I mean, he's going around calling every leftist who disagrees with him a CIA plant. It's just like nobody's going to believe you about anything ever. And I mean, look at what he's doing all over the place. It's the Uyghurs, it's um, it's the Syrians, you know, the White Helmets, it's Skripal. He he even has been kind of trying to, I don't know if he actually would publicly deny it because it sounds so weird, but in his shows, he's kind of like trying to poke holes in uh, the notion that Navalny was poisoned. 
He's saying maybe Navalny wasn't actually poisoned. Well, he's intimated uh, in podcasts. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, with with well, uh, yes, I think that, that is indeed the irony here is that, you know, the guy who's trying to, uh, you know, portray you as a state agent is himself uh, kind of acting as a state agent. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, th there's a, a, some kind of think tank report that came out today that made almost the exact um, claim, basically saying that uh, the, with regards to Xinjiang, uh, the, the Chinese uh, state's uh, efforts to elevate gray zone um, suggests a coordinated effort to reach at the moment. So... Yeah, 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 yeah. So you can see how it's going to be. All anything they say is going to be readily dismissed. Oh, not by, just dismissed. You know, on its followers, but you know, I will point out that they'll celebrate. They'll celebrate about it. They'll say, "Look, we're like really a threat to imperialism because you know right, exactly. we're spreading a bunch of lies and people are trying to stop but, us." Know, I will point out that you know the reason they maybe this is the reason that they haven't directly attacked me and my website countervortex.org because I've got, you know, this shoestring anarchist blog, which is completely untainted by any connections to the national security establishment of any country on earth. And I have been aggressively <laughs> calling out, uh, you know, Blumenthal and Gray Zone for their, um, uh, you know, abject denialism of the mass internment and, and genocide of the Uyghurs for example, and of, uh, you yeah. know, the, uh, the, the, the horrible bloodletting of, uh, you know, Putin and Assad in Syria, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, no, no, I, I know. And I appreciate your work. I think you do awesome stuff. You know, I, I wouldn't have, you know, said anything publicly, really, I don't think, because I don't want to, you know, gratify, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, um, um give any air of credibility to anything that they say ever again you know why bother trying to respond well, because the why bother i hate to say this but the why bother is uh you know the fact that uh you received all this um online harassment and even uh you know the targeting of your offspring on social media that's the why bother i mean people are just crazy I, I not everybody yeah, right like a lot of people a lot of people are just very unhinged and and when you talk about like conspiracy theories and you talk about people like oh the left and right comes together and everything is is uh you know um uh utopian in the end or or whatever you know it matches a lot of naivete with a whole lot of cynicism um, and I just try to be like a little more realistic and, and, and I mean, it does, it opens stuff up to getting, getting attacked in, in really horrifying ways. Um, my partner, uh, you know, said after what's been happening, you know, I need to kind of step back a little bit and, uh, and not do this as much because, you know, she's afraid of getting targeted. Um, so, you know, I'm in a kind of like a, a tough spot, you know, I don't want to, yes, yeah, and I'm so... gonna, you know, we've been uh, going on for about two hours here, so we should probably try to wrap it up. 
I still yeah. need to make a late dinner here in New York where it's approaching 10 p.m. No. But, uh, you know, I mean, I'm just really very strongly of the opinion that in situations like this, it is uh, there's a real danger to the ignore them and they'll go away attitude and that it needs to be uh, confronted head on. And you need to turn up the light rather than uh, turn off the light and and uh, and, and address the uh, the claims forthrightly. Sure. Even from a tactical standpoint, I believe that that's the uh, the, the the correct response. Yeah, I think I think we have to do everything we can to um, to dismiss the kind of conspiracy mongering that's been happening uh, for so long. Uh, we really need to stand up to it somehow. And um, I don't know. I just think you know, you know, for my own work, I think you know tends to just be data oriented. You know, the the data will tell you the story, and and you just have to kind of like give it life there is always a fun thing when when your models don't give you what you thought they would and so you're like trying to figure out what's going on because your presuppositions are mixed up but often often it is uh you know it does confirm things that you were thinking and then and then you have the right and then you know you're working with people who might be you know uh center right wing you know they might be centrist they might be whatever but you've got the data to prove you know exactly what's going on, right? And so you can tell the the true story. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to just make stuff up. You don't have to parrot any kind of uh, propaganda. You can you know be real about stuff. You know, and I think that's what we need. We need more of that and less of this kind of attitude of of well, you know, if you don't agree with me then I'm going to expose, you know, all the ways that you are tainted, you know? And of course they don't do that with their own friends and allies, which they very well could, you know? I mean, yes, I could go down the line. the hypocrisy here at length. Yeah, so <laughs> things are complicated, right? If we live in a complex environment, we live difficult lives and, um, and you know, I just, I just want to be honest with people. Alexander Reed Ross, I can't thank you enough for agreeing to this interview. And I hope uh, even though we've gone on, we've ranted on for two hours here. I hope that uh, we're going to make uh, something of an impact. Some people will listen to it and maybe we've cleared the air on these questions a little bit. And so, uh, uh, you have any, you have any last words for us before we before we wrap it up? Are you going down to the to the deep state um, pool hall later tonight? Am I going to see you there? Very funny. <laughs> You're going to uh, come down. <laughs> I'm going to stay home and have an intimate relationship with my computer, trying to uh, you know meet my deadlines so that I can uh, you know stay afloat as a freelance writer, which is an ongoing struggle. That's what I'm going to be doing tonight. <clears throat> yep, we'll keep up the good work man just keep you know keep hope alive and you know again i really uh i've respected what you do for a long time you know you really hold out the 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 torch for for a lot of us and and uh you are somebody who who has that sort of ethical clarity you know and uh um and i super respect that it's a lonely job but somebody's got to do it <laughs> anyway <laughs> alexander reed ross thank you for your kind words 
And, uh, you know, I don't want to turn this into too much of a mutual admiration society here, but obviously I think that, you know, your research has been uh, absolutely cutting edge and I salute your clarity in calling out the rascals. And uh, we will continue this conversation at a future point, I hope. Definitely, Bill. I'm, uh, again, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't uh, uh, gone public and talked about any of this with anybody else. So thanks for uh, bringing All right. me in. All right. I'm flattered. All right. We'll stay in touch, Alexander. Thanks so much. All right. This has been, once again, the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, joined tonight by Alexander Reed Ross. He's in Portland, Oregon. I'm in New York City, brought together by the miracle of Zoom. And a uh, big shout out to uh, Chris Rywalt and Dawn, who have uh, been our um, technical enablers tonight. Uh, you can check out our website online at countervortex.org, where uh, everything that we've said is um, linked and documented, as always. Uh, support us on Patreon, join the Counter Vortex, join the resistance, and rant on you next time. <laughs>